the Super Bowl of politics. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Welcome to our preview of the epic clash between Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi on the floor of the House. This is the Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. I'm joined by my colleagues John Easton, Chief of Staff to two former senators, prominent senators. Good folks. Good folks. And Belmar, <laughs> uh, former recovering journalist and Deputy Communications Director to George W. Bush. Today's big issue, the State of the Union, the Super Bowl of politics. Uh, thinking about this, Adam Belmar, this epic clash between the two, we don't know when this is going to happen. That's why we're pre- previewing it right now. We do know it's going to happen after the president and the Congress decide to open up the government again. Uh, thinking about the optics of the State of the Union, how do you think this is all going to play out? This is a very important moment for any president. And as a former television journalist, one who met you, John Fury, in the, in the uh, statuary hall following George W. Bush's first address to a joint session of Congress in 2001, it's important because this is how the president's agenda and the Congress's agenda for the coming session gets communicated back to their constituents. Everybody files in like after the Super Bowl for a post-game heads press conference talking about what did I feel, what did I see, what does this mean to us, I support this or I don't that, and that goes for the Speaker of the House all the way down to members across the board. The optics of of this speech are so important that every president prepares for this speech more than any other every year, John. Uh, John Easton, thinking about this, from my perspective, this will be the most dramatic speech of any president on the House floor since Bill Clinton gave his address right after he got impeached for having sex with Monica Lewinsky. I was working for the Speaker then, very dramatic. There's a lot of pomp and circumstances surrounding this speech. It's kind of part of that American tradition, first started by Woodrow Wilson way back in uh, early 19th and 20th century. Uh, you, th- you, know, you know a lot about this this pop and circumstance. So tell us your thoughts on the State of the Union. Well, one, I, I'm pretty stunned that uh, the, the president sort of gave in, caved whatever verb you want to use about it, but it was the right call because the, the thing that he needs the most in this battle of wits is to give that State of the Union speech in the, in the House of Representatives. There's no better stage in politics, and, and it is important for him just to kind of wait this out because nobody's really – you could say, well, you know, a lot of – I'm sure Democrats are saying this is the – Nancy Pelosi is one of the greatest speakers in the history of the, our country because look what she just she, – you know, she backed Trump down. But it doesn't really matter, and I think the alternative would have been a disaster for the president, giving it in some other venue – maybe in a Trump district, a competitive Trump district, like they were talking about giving it at the border, uh, or at a rally, which would have been even worse, because it's not a State of the Union at that point. It's just a political rally. And and so it kind of calls into question, what is the future of the State of the Union? Uh, I mean, this whole clash is really, you know, is it going to be called off? Is it going to be given somewhere else? And I think you look at it two ways. One, you know, it's, it's a pure partisan exercise. Okay, yeah, sure, that's true. But it's really important theater, as, as Adam was talking about, for our country, but not only for our country, but internationally. I think to see the president come into the House chamber, face 
not just the House of Representatives and the United States Senate, but the Supreme Court, the generals, everybody. I mean, it is our institution of government um, at play and in front of the entire world to see, and it is extremely important theater. So for that matter, I, I, I just hope, and I don't think we'll see it for a while, but I hope that they'll just restore some of the decorum that should be part of the speech. So, Adam Belmar, Belmar, thinking about this speech and thinking how Nancy Pelosi has played it, how she played it was, you're not going to give this speech until the government reopens. Um, by necessity now, the president's going to be coming in after the, the Congress is reopened and the federal government is reopened, and it will be a speech of him explaining why he reopened the government, it gives him a tremendous opportunity to take credit for the reopening of government. I think in many ways, Nancy Pelosi is doing herself no favors by giving the president this kind of platform. What does the president have to do to be successful in his speech? Well, to my mind, this is very much a lose-the-battle-win-the-war situation from the president's side. Um, You may well be right about uh, the tactics employed by the speaker, but in order to be successful, the president of the United States has to stop making 2019 in the beginning of the 116th Congress a one-note story. It's not just about the wall. He's got an agenda where he wants to protect his tax cuts. He's still furthering an agenda on other items that are on the economic front that have to do with the trade war and the tariffs. And he has been speaking in, in bipartisan terms since he was elected about finding a way to do something important on infrastructure and other things. This is typically the type of specificity that we get from a president in the State of the Union. For President Trump, it would give uh, a great contrast to the platitudes and the rhetoric that we often hear from him when he would have to delve into specifics. I think if he can do that while, as expected, claiming victory for opening the government and why he did it, he can be successful there. Uh, Johnny, so thinking about some of the longer speeches... I remember when Bill Clinton gives speeches, they'd be like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, they would. And they'd just go on and on and on. Um, Do you think the president is better off if he's succinct, or do you think he needs to, as Adam says, have a laundry list of things that he wants to talk about for the next two years? I think think they're all better off if they're succinct and they follow the script and they don't go too far off, uh, you know, their, their intended message. Part of, let's remember, part of what makes a speech so long are these interrupted applauses. Good you know, everybody sitting on their hands or everybody up cheering. It's That's where the thing becomes That's silly. the theatrics of it, that's right? That's the yeah. theatrics, except I think the best theatrics are when everybody's walking in to mm-hmm. the, the house floor and you get to see everybody. I love it because I'm just – you know, I'm, I'm addicted to this stuff. I just love, oh, there's, you know, so it's chairman of that committee or there's a general, you know, Dumford or whatever. It's just neat to see everybody in one room. So I just think, yes, please be succinct and please stay your script. Well, it'd be really interesting. You, know, you made mention of this, the, the, not the ceremony, but the kind of, what I want to call the shenanigans mm-hmm. of members of Congress and how they stand up or sit down or boo what kind of reception do you think that the president's going to get from the Democrats? Well, you know, we've seen a variety of things that they have tried in the past couple of years. They tried to color code <laughs> and all wear some yeah. sort of white resistance color, which was white. Um, they've 
sat together to make it more clear that they're sitting on their hands than they've tried to co-locate themselves with other folks. And they also did, when I was still in the Senate, they did a, they were pairing Republicans and Democrats. They did this in the Senate, I know, which I thought was a really good idea. I think Lamar Alexander of Tennessee uh, started that. I thought that was beautiful, and a lot of people took them up on that offer to do that. I wonder if they're going to do it this time around. My it was guess. it was a date. You had a date to the right. State of the yeah, Union. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. No, quite that's I think you're going to see a much more traditional monolith of, and this will be visually significant because we have a Democratic majority in the House of Representatives, which means when you couple the tightly uh, majority in the, in the Senate, you'll see a larger block than you have in many years sitting on their hands and not rising up to applaud the presidents. And now that you have Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker, sitting behind on the Speaker's rostrum with the Vice President Mike Pence, you won't have this unanimity where both come up at once to applaud the president together, but rather um, one sitting and scowling and the other one standing up uh, to, to cheer the boss. Well, now, as, when I was working for Denny Hastert and he was the speaker behind the podium with Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. it was fraught. And we did it twice with Bill Clinton as president. We had to be respectful of the president. We had to applaud when he was saying things that we agreed with. But when he said things that we disagreed with, which every president always does because that's what you do, you had to be very careful not to, you know, clap absentmindedly mm-hmm. or – and you had to kind of be careful what you do behind because that's part of the picture. And we, we trained him about how to not smile much with Bill Clinton because this is right after impeachment. So right. it would be interesting to see how Nancy Pelosi – how she reacts to all of – the president's shenanigans, which you know, I'll have you know, it's them. really it's a it's an interesting optic, and I actually had a personal instance with Nancy Pelosi the last time that she was Speaker uh, of the House, and, and I was the Deputy Communications Director for President Bush on his last State of the Union. One of the visuals that I was most concerned with is you have, as you saw at the beginning of our podcast, uh, the Sergeant at Arms calling out Mr. Mr. Speaker, Madam Speaker, the President of the United States, but then also the Speaker will once again introduce the President uh, to the collective body right before the president speaks and there is a large long gooseneck microphone that the speaker uses and if the speaker does not push it all the way down and out of the way it's sort of sticking out of the head of the president and that's a really disrespectful and horrible uh, image but no one's going to go up there and move it once it's been done so I remember telling Nancy Pelosi directly reminding her again Madam Speaker please remember to push the she did she knew what she was doing if she doesn't do that and leaves it up by mistake <laughs> that'd be something I'd be hey, and, for. Don't, don't, and don't give her an idea right uh, so we saw a couple of weeks ago a response that was a hilariously terrible response by Chuck and Nancy. Um, what do you think? Who will be the best possible responder to President Trump this time around? So many Democrats running for president. Can you find right. anyone who's not running for president? Well, that's just it. Uh, first of all, not Nancy and not Chuck. <laughs> I, I think they learned that lesson. And they're not going to put somebody who is running for president because that's not fair to the other 19 who, <laughs> you know, who are running for president. So oh, let's, let's try it. Well, that, I mean, that obviously you still have a large pool, but it does narrow it quite a bit. I think you've got to, you go two ways. I mean, you could, you could try to get an adult, I think, who can really speak to some of these, these big issues of the time. You could get a, uh, a, a Democrat um, high-ranking military Individual, say like a like a general, like a you know major general Cook, or you know some, somebody like that. You know, you got Wesley Clark, but I think he's washed out. I, I think that 
that could be something you could get Jay Johnson, former uh, Homeland Security uh, Secretary, who's very well spoken and, and could handle it. Or you could go the opposite direction, which is a real new up-and-comer, like a freshman female Democrat member of Congress. I think that would be refreshing. The problem with that is it's pretty risky because they it's don't have a lot of right. They don't have a lot of experience with that kind of stage, and that is a huge stage. When you know millions of people are watching you, that is uh, fraught with danger, as, as Adam said. So, one of those options would be pretty good. But it's a it's a very very difficult decision on the leader's part. Adam, uh, they had young Joe Kennedy give a response. That's once. right. Yeah. And, it was just last year. Actually. Which he wasn't that bad. Wasn't that great, but it wasn't that bad. Okay, uh, I, I'll buy that. I had some weird feelings about that, although I, I, I like him. Um, uh, my, here's my guess, or my suggestion. I have always been, as going back again to being a television producer, I've always been a fan of the communication skills of one Dick Durbin, the senator from Illinois. And you have to keep in mind that if you're going to respond to the President of the United States and the State of the Union, you are essentially sequestered from there. You're not there. You're somewhere else. It could be in the Capitol, has been done that way before, or it could be somewhere else entirely. But you are essentially in your own television studio just waiting to go on when this thing ends. And I've always found him to be a very capable speaker on television and somebody with whom people can connect. So if you're looking for a grown-up in the room who has gravitas and is not running for president and you can get over the fact that it's not a female, I would go with him. Wow, as a as an Illinois born and raised, what do you think about that idea? You know, I think Dick Durbin is very smooth. He's a very smooth talker. I don't think they're going to go that route, but I, they might. Um, you know, the Durbin and Schumer don't really love each other. Right. Uh, I mean, they, they live, live together, but they don't love each other. Um, I'd be surprised if – this is the one point I'd make on this. Everybody who was running for president on the Democratic side is going to give their own response. <laughs> so there's going to be right. about 45 different responses, which dilutes the response of who actually the official responder is. You know, someone like uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, she'd be fantastic. They're not going to do that, though. Um, let's move on to that topic because I actually have no idea who they're going to pick, and I'm, I'm fascinated to learn who they do pick. Okay, we're going to talk about the real Super Bowl now. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on who's going to win a week from Sunday? Johnny's I'll go first. I'm kind of tired of, of betting against the New England Patriots. Uh, as, a, as a good friend of mine who's a Patriots fan who grew up in that area, he said basically everybody outside of Boston is rooting against the Patriots. I think that's correct. Everybody's tired of them. Uh, but with Bill Belichick and, and Tom Brady at the controls, it's just – it's just unwise to bet against him. And you've got a very young coach on the other sideline with a very young quarterback. I think it's unwise to bet against uh, the Patriots. So that's where I'm going. You're a Patriots fan. I am. I am. I am. I am. And uh, since I will not be putting any money on this, and I care not for the odds, but I'm passionate about Tom Brady. I believe he is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And he will prove it yet again. He and Belichick may be coming to the end of what is one of the greatest eras in NFL history. But boy, are they strong. Boy, am I excited. I will have my uh, very large uh, jersey on and wearing it and cheering proudly. <laughs> well, you know, let's say uh, I remember last year when everyone thought that the Patriots were going to win and they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can happen. So uh, I think the Rams are going to win. Okay, you contrarian, you. Uh, now, I, I don't know why I say that. Uh, I just think that Brady's old. Um, <laughs> and 
I know younger he, than you. I know he's. I know. That's what I'm <laughs> So, because you guys picked the Patriots, I'm going to go with the Rams. I could be wrong on this because I'm not an expert, but um, I'm going to be watching. I'm excited about it. So, the Super Bowl of politics, the Super Bowl of the Super Bowl. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Enjoy the Fury Theory podcast brought to you by EFB. Advocacy EFB means excellent, excellent for, for business. business. <laughs> <laughs>